Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. All right, well, this has been a great day already. Let's just sing our closing song and let's be done. No, no, no. We're just getting started. How many of you, it looks like you survived the storm okay yesterday? It's kind of like a practice storm. If you're new to South Florida, it doesn't really count, right? Because it really wasn't much. It was, uh, as I like to say, it was a good day to, you know, to catch up on your couch time, you know? You got to have that time just sitting around doing nothing. Anybody do nothing yesterday? Just admit it. Praise God. Thank you for being honest. The rest of you, I think you're lying. Um, I was grateful when I walked up and said, man, it's, it's going to be rainy all day. I've just stayed. And, you know, the most productive thing I did yesterday, I let three inches of water out of the pool. I thought that was a good, because it was overflowing. I love being able to teach and preach the Bible. This is what we do here. We want people to understand God's word. And today, we're talking about just an incredibly important part of Scripture because it's really a key pivot point in the whole narrative of how God is saving people. The title of the message today is The Holy Spirit Paradigm. The Holy Spirit Paradigm. Now, a paradigm, as you know, is a pattern or a model. It's a way of doing things, and often we'll say, well, this is a new paradigm in this area or that area. And when you move to a new area, as we did five times when our kids were growing up, this, every time you move, right, it's a new paradigm, isn't it? you got to figure out, all right, what's my schedule going to be? How soon do I need to leave for work? Uh, where is my grocery store? And in here, there's a lot to choose from, so you've got to decide because there's a bunch of them. Um, what is, where's my doctor? Where's a good mechanic? How do I meet people? How do I know people? How do I find a good church? And praise God, if you're here today, you have found a good church. Um, but sometimes we fight the paradigm. Sometimes we're like, I like the way I've always done it. I don't want to do it any other way, and I don't like change. And that really doesn't work when you get married, does it? You can't really live like a single person when you're married. You actually have someone else you have to connect with, make plans with, know how to spend money with, know how to spend time with, Learn how bad they smell at certain times of the day. I mean, you've got to learn the paradigm. I know that's not true for most of you. Y'all look great. Y'all use deodorant. Praise God. But sometimes we fight it. I think I fought it most when we had our first child. Who invented this thing called a, a one-year-old, right? Who invented this child? He will not turn off. I want to go to sleep. I want to watch a game. Why would he be quiet? I remember I was just totally not going to change paradigms. We were going to go on vacation. He's six months old. I'm thinking, he's just going to go with us. He's teething. Whew, don't do this, parents. Worst two weeks of my life. And the worst part about it is when I got home, I knew I didn't have any vacation for a whole other 12 months, and I'm exhausted from the, 12, from the two weeks I was supposed to have had fun. Sometimes we need to understand, we need to get into a new paradigm. And today, we're talking about this 
way that God has been working through people with his Holy Spirit ever since Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We're in the zone of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. The paradigm. It didn't start out that way. And you may wonder, well, why didn't it start out that way? Why didn't, why didn't when Adam and Eve were created, why didn't God just put his spirit in them? And you can ask him one day, but it looks like that's not what, that was not his plan because what he wanted to do was he wanted to have fellowship with his people. And somehow in the Garden of Eden, it seems like it was maybe even a face-to-face meeting because we see what God is walking through the garden after Adam and Eve's sin. And he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, we hid ourselves. And there's a sense that they must have been meeting like every day. And God somehow speaking to man. And then when they sinned, they got kicked out of the garden. And that relationship was ruptured, right? And there was a distance between God and man. They could still hear from him. They, they somehow still understood what he wanted. But there was a distance. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to create this nation that he would bless the world through. And this nation of Israel was supposed to be the nation that would live out the way, the character of God. And he, he gave them his law and he made them a, a, a very unique people. And they tried, but they couldn't keep the law, could they? Because the law was really built to point them to the ultimate fulfillment of God's law, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and he was filled with the Spirit. And Jesus Christ was the one who did everything the law ever pointed to. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus was active, but only only probably on one person at a time. Remember in Samson, in the story of Samson and Judges, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was able to do incredible things in battle. And then in 1 Samuel 16, we see David receiving the Holy Spirit. Where the Lord says this, it says, When Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David, or him, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed. Harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Here's what's happening. Samuel anoints one king. The Spirit leaves the other king may not happen at the same time, but it really seems like the Holy Spirit is not active over bunches of people or over a nation of people. It's really individual. It's really happening very, on a very limited basis, and that's the pattern in the Old Testament. But Jesus, Jesus, as he's telling his disciples, his closest followers, he's telling them, listen, I'm about to leave, and they're freaking out. And he tells them, but I have something even better that's coming John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. If I go, I will send him to you. And he's speaking to a lot of people at the time, not just one. What he's saying is, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be a paradigm change. God has worked through his people, through his law. He's he's fulfilled his law in Jesus Christ. And now he's about to pour out his spirit on his followers. 
And that's what happens in Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. We see 120 people praying, and God, his spirit literally rushes into the room like a, like a rushing wind, and his people begin to speak in languages they don't know. It's a miraculous thing. And as a result, everyone who hears them understands, and thousands of people receive the good news of Jesus Christ, receive forgiveness and the gift of salvation. But that was in a Jewish context, meaning the children of Abraham, they were the ones who received this Holy Spirit. Remember, God had promised them that they would be the ones that he would bless the world through. And he does that by pouring his spirit out into them. Then later in Samaria, which is just north of Jerusalem, it's, it's an area that is, has Jewish heritage but is of mixed race and mixed worship. And those people later would hear the good news of Jesus. And through Peter and John, two disciples who were present at Pentecost, they then received the Holy Spirit as well. But it's still, there's a Jewish context to this, and God isn't finished. And that's where we come to Acts chapter 10. And we've been studying this the last couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, Jimmy preached about Cornelius. He is a man, he's a military man, he's a Roman, he has no Jewish heritage. He is a leader of the military that is oppressing Israel at the time. But somehow, for some reason, he is following or listening to or responding to the God of the Israelites. It's amazing. You see, a lot of the military soldiers of the Romans, they had different gods. They were a polytheistic culture. And for some reason, this Roman was responding to the God of the Israelites. And it says that he was one who feared God, tried to obey God, that he prayed, and that he gave. He, he spent his money, charitable giving, in the way that God told them to give. And as a result, God sends his angel. The angel comes and says, hey, Cornelius, because of your prayers, they've been heard. Go send for Peter. And Peter's down in Joppa, 30 miles down the Mediterranean coast. Peter comes. As just before he comes, he gets a vision from the Lord that says, Hey, Peter, everything, these dietary laws that I've given you to make you different from everyone else, I'm now removing those dietary laws, and now you can have bacon and ham and lobster and shrimp. Praise God. Those were the laws that kind of made them very specific and very different people. They, they, they were not to eat any of those things. And what God was saying to Peter is that, listen, everyone is eligible to hear and receive the word of God, not just Jews. And right at that time, as he finishes up that vision, Cornelius' men arrive. And here's an opportunity for Peter to speak the good news to a totally non-Jewish, what we call a Gentile audience. So Peter goes, makes the day's journey, takes a few people with him. He gets there. Cornelius tells him his story. Peter tells him his story, and then they ask him to speak what God wants them to hear. So that's where we're at. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, the word of the Lord says this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is an incredible statement for one who's lived as a Jew their whole lives. Peter is saying there is no special deal with God 
because of your race, your ethnicity, your nationality, your parents. There is no special deal. Everyone is on a level playing field. Everyone has access or should have access to the good news of Jesus. This is an incredible statement. He's saying this to a Gentile, Gentile audience. He's saying, listen, you have access. He says, here's, the, here's what matters. Every nation, anyone who fears and does what is right is acceptable to him. Here's what it means. To fear God is a sense of great and deep respect. What God says is right. And I will respond to whatever I hear God say. And here's what God is saying through Peter. He's about to give him the gospel. He's saying, listen, to do what is right is to repent of your sin. To do what is right is to say, I agree with you, Jesus. I need to repent of my sin, and I need the price you paid on the cross to count for me. This is how Peter begins his gospel presentation in verse 36. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Now God anointed Nazareth with the anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he had commanded us to preach the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. This is Peter telling them what God has done. It's interesting. He says to them, as you yourselves know. So there was knowledge in the area about who Jesus was. They knew the basic events, but they probably thought that Jesus was only the God of the Jews. Jesus was only the king of the Jews. They probably didn't realize they had access, probably didn't have a complete view of what it meant to follow Jesus. But they did know something. And Peter says, we were witnesses of this. In other words, we that God chose to reveal uh, himself to us, we are his people. God promised to bless the world through the Jews. Peter says, that's us. And he says, Jesus died on a cross. He was raised and he appeared to us, the Jews. He appeared to over 500 people. And I love it that he puts that detail in there that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, we ate and drank with him. Which means this was a real bodily resurrection. This was not a ghost or a phantom or a figment of someone's imagination that he ate and drank with him. He, his body came out of the grave. And he commanded us, he says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one. 
they're supposed to preach to all and that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. There's this sense of this all-inclusiveness. Peter's saying everyone now has access to Jesus Christ. It's not just the Jews. It's all about expanding it to everyone. It's an incredible statement for them. They didn't think they would be included. Now they are included. And next, something really incredible happens. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. It's an incredible event. It is a basically Pentecost all over. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit for the first time. It's now coming into Gentiles. God is going to great lengths to get his spirit into all kinds of people. And when he does, they start speaking languages they didn't know in the same way that those languages were spoken at the first Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit is everywhere. It's obvious. It's incredible. And it's interesting. I love it when it says that the the Jews, the circumcised people that came with him, you know what they thought? This is ridiculous. This is amazing. They were losing their composure that the Holy Spirit would come into non-Jews. You think, why was this amazing to them? I think that they thought that the Spirit would empower them as Jews to share the good news of Jesus with the world. But the world, the non-Jews, would never actually have the Holy Spirit. They would just be forgiven. Sounds kind of arrogant to us, but they were believed. They were the people of God. That's what they thought their role was. But God's plan was so much bigger than that. You see, God was actually going to not only put the Spirit in, in the Jewish people, He was going to use them for the Spirit to come into all people so that the Spirit of the God of the universe would actually empower every type of person. It's kind of like when you light your barbecue, if you use charcoal, you kind of light it all over different places, don't you? Because you want it to get going faster. And that's what God is doing. He's saying, listen, I'm not just going to use the Jews. I'm going to use everyone to be filled with my spirit so that my message can go out through the world as quickly and as efficiently as possible. It's an incredible, incredible thing. And they were amazed that our God is that big that he would move and he would fill all kinds of people. I know what you're thinking. Steve, that was over 2,000 years ago. How do I know that's still happening today? And does it matter to me today? Well, Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, when you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not just a decision you make or a lifestyle change that you have. It's a spirit 
a person that comes to live inside of you. And that's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. If you have said yes to Jesus, yes, I, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need your price that you paid on the cross to count for me. Would you save me? He will absolutely forgive you. He absolutely will save you. And his spirit will come live inside of you. That's true for every one of you who have been saved and received the gift of salvation. It's true for all of you. It's an incredible, incredible thing. I love 1 Corinthians 3.16 that says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If you ask that question, people go, yeah, I know that. Think of the implications of that. The temple is where people met with God, and God met with people. The temple was where people were connected to God. It's where his price for the sacrifice was made for sin. If you have the gift of salvation, you, you're the place that people meet Jesus. You're just like the temple. And I love Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not get drunk with wine. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting comparison, isn't it? You know, you can tell when someone gets drunk with wine, can't you? It's hard to hide. You can tell. There's something different about them. Apostle Paul was saying in this passage, he says, instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. People will be able to tell. You will be different. You will have this amazing spirit within you. And you won't get any DUIs and you won't wake up hungover, but you will be incredible representative for Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Let me point out four things I want us to see from this passage. First, there are no super-Christians. There are no super-Christians. There are no people who are followers of Jesus who have access to the Spirit more than you do. Sometimes it's how we think about it, isn't it? Well, I don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm just a, a guy. I didn't go to seminary. I don't work at the church. I, I don't, uh, I don't, I'm just a person. But there's other people who have this this spirit within them, that's amazing, and they're great, and I'm happy for them, but that's not me. Let me tell you, there are no super-Christians. You have the same access to the Spirit as anyone else. As any pastor you've ever heard, as Billy Graham, as Martin Luther, you name it, you have that same access within you. Never sell yourself short. Never think that God can't do something amazing in you because you, the Spirit same spirit that lived in Peter, the same spirit that lived in Jesus, lives in you if you're a follower of his. Think about that. Because of that, number two, the Holy Spirit is available to be with you in everything that you do. Everything that you do, every task that you do, everything you do at work, every parenting decision you make, every time you have a 
discussion with your spouse, every time you respond to your boss, every time you're in traffic, every time you watch the heat lose, the Holy Spirit can be with you at that moment. He always lives in you, but he's not always in charge. He always has something to say, but we don't always listen. He's available for everything you do. Let me ask you, are there some things in your life right now, this week, that you have to handle that you're not quite sure how to handle? Or that you're dreading? Or that you think is going to be difficult? Or that you're pretty sure is going to be painful? Let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit wants to go there with you. He wants to be there with you in everything that you do. Sometimes we get so stressed out because we have so much to do. Or we get so concerned because things are difficult in our culture because of what's happening politically or what's happening internationally or what's happening in our family. We get so worried, so stressed out that we can't even do it very well. But the Holy Spirit is there to go with you. He's there to walk with you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything that I need. He takes good care of me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, Psalm 23. So there are no super Christian. The Holy Spirit is available with you in everything you do. Because of that, we need to evaluate our day based on how well we walked with the Spirit. How do you evaluate your day? When you get home, end of the day, or you end your day, and you're kind of getting ready to wind down and go to sleep, how do you look back over your day? Does it go something like, well, you know, that was successful. The results were good. I got a, I got a, I got a nice note from my boss. My wife is happy today. Praise God. The children didn't kill each other today. Praise God. I didn't have an accident on the way home. The tri-rail ran on time. Do you evaluate your day based on the results? Most of us do. Most of us have some kind of metrics that we evaluate. I said that was a good day, that was a bad day. We need to evaluate our day as, did we include the Holy Spirit in everything that we did? Or did we act like most of us who are capable people, we went out and did our work and came back and reported to Jesus? Okay, I got my assignment for the day. I'm going to go do my work on my own, and I'm going to come back to you, Jesus, and tell you how it went. See, that's not, that's not walking with the Holy Spirit. That's saying, I'm capable of doing this, and if I need help, I will pray to you, but otherwise, I'm pretty much going to do my own thing. I want to encourage you, evaluate your day and your life on how much and how well you walked with the Holy Spirit that day. Because of that, number four, we need to structure our lives around building a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Who do you have a relationship with? Let me ask you, if you had an incredible mentor for your job, 
someone who would just help you through what you were doing, someone who was several steps ahead of you, or maybe if you're a student, you had someone who's a couple years ahead of you, had already taken the classes that you've taken, somebody who was ahead of you, and they were available for you to meet with every time you went to work. How much time would you take to meet with them? How much time would you actually take and go have a conversation with them and go, this is happening, what do I do about this, this what should I do about it? And they're actually willing to walk with you through the entire day. Would you be talking to them? It's interesting, if you watch the French Open, you know every, every player has a coach. And every time before every match, there's a great discussion with the coach. They've worked with that coach a long time. You see, the Holy Spirit is even way better than a coach. He's always with you. You know, and when we do go to him, sometimes we turn into this, we just get too talkative. And we can't stop talking about telling Jesus, telling the Holy Spirit what to do. Do this, do this, do this, this is my problem. Listen, he wants to hear your heart. But let me ask you, how much listening do you do? How much time and space do you allow for the Holy Spirit to actually speak? Because if you go see a mentor, if you go see someone you're counting on to help you, you do a lot of listening, typically. Yes, you tell them your concerns. Yes, you tell them how things are going. But you really need to hear them speak into your life and say, hey, this is what will help you the most. This is how I want to direct you today. This is where I need your mind to be today. So we often try to fit Jesus and the Holy Spirit into our lives. What we need to do is make our life following the Holy Spirit and fit our our life around that. He needs to be central. Say, see, that sounds a little odd. Because for me to sit in a room and not talk, not look at a screen, just listen to God, is that, how do I do that? Listen, it's really just about opening up space. You can read his word to set your mind on him. It's great to read a psalm. You can read the passages we're preaching through. But it's important to stop long enough to say, God, would you speak? I want to hear. I'm not trying to conform you to me. I'm asking you to transform me to you. I just want to stop. I just want to stop. I just want to hear you. The God of the universe has made himself available to us. The most powerful, important person in the entire universe says, I want you to hear from me. Would we listen? Let me encourage you. Whatever that thing is you're facing this week, whatever that challenge is that's going to happen this week, would you, would you open up an hour of space to hear from God? Beyond what you normally do, would you open up an hour to just sit with him? In a quiet room, or in the quietest place you have, some of you will struggle with that if you have young children, but 
maybe after they go to bed, would you spend an hour saying, God, I just, I just want to hear from you about this. Let me tell you, you will be amazed how he will direct your thoughts. The Spirit is available. God has gone to immense amount of trouble to get the Spirit into your life. I urge you today, structure your life to let him live through you. Now, some of you may say, Steve, I've, I've heard the gospel story before, but I don't, I'm not, I haven't ever received it. Let me tell you, it's the amazing, most amazing life you could ever have. It's the most amazing life you could ever have. And the only reason you don't have it is because you've said no to him. You said, no, I, I, I won't receive that. I have other ideas, other thoughts. I don't know if Jesus is the only way, and I'm not. Listen, I just encourage you, would you consider him? He's Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm the only way. See, Jesus is the only one that paid your price. Every other worldview says you're going to have to earn it. Jesus says, I paid the price for your sin. I took your punishment. Would you let me pay for your sin? It only takes that one prayer of repentance to say, Jesus, I receive what you're trying to give me. And I admit that I need it. Would you forgive me of my sin and would you send your spirit to live inside of me? Oh, I would love to help you with that prayer. Love to chat with you after the service. Don't miss out on the God of the universe living inside of you. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.